Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 63 GURPS and RIFFS. This week, we're deep diving a game system, GURPS, as well as a game, RIFFS. I jokingly referred to this show as being alphabet soup, but at the end of the day, these have been two of the best selling, longest lasting games. So I guess I really should have shown them a little more respect. My apologies. In the vein of showing more respect, let's crank up the tour bus and get into this week's first subject, GURPS. GURPS, which stands for Generic Universal Role Playing System, was created by Steve Jackson Games and released to the world in 1986. There are some sources that state 1985 was the initial release date, but I'll explain how that's possible here in a minute or two. Let's first do that thing that we do with our subjects and get into the history. And before we specifically get into GURPS, we need to do a little background. Stick with me here. You might learn something and we will get to GURPS shortly. Before GURPS came out, role-playing games were designed for one gaming environment, which made them incompatible to other environments. Now, what exactly do I mean by game environments? Well, Dungeons & Dragons was specifically created for the fantasy environment. While TSR created other games for other genres, such as Star Frontiers for science fiction, Gamma World for post-apocalyptic games, Top Secret for the spy genre, and Boot Hill for the Wild West of the U.S., none of these games would work in the other game's environment. Part of this has to do with the environments themselves. I mean, a game set up in the Wild West with characters carrying six shooters and rifles wouldn't fit in well with a group in full armor with a variety of bladed weapons. Be interesting, but the compatibility would be questionable. And by the way, that's if the system being used is even the same from game to game. If you'll think back to us discussing some of these games during the timeline and TSR episodes earlier in this show's history, we noted that while the systems were similar, there were enough differences between them as to make it very difficult to try to seamlessly integrate them. That doesn't mean it wasn't tried. TSR specifically tried to find a way to incorporate AD&D characters to either Gamma World or Boot Hill. The issue they ran into, however, was that the statistics had to be completely converted before they could just drop them into the games. So it was not a seamless integration. I also have to note that GURPS wasn't the first game of its type. Chaosium actually came out with the first, Basic Role Playing, which came out in 1980, while Hero Games had the second, called the Hero System, in 1982. Now, we'll cover those in other episodes, but we needed to mention them here for historical purposes. GURPS was the most commercially successful game in this particular line, and the reason why should become apparent as we break it down. The genesis of GURPS was actually developed by Steve Jackson in 1978. Before this, and for several years later, role-playing games typically used a system of rolling dice and taking those random numbers to use for character statistics. Steve Jackson thought there was a better way, or a different way, anyway. He had a couple of micro games he was releasing called Melee and Wizard, and he put his point buy system in place for character creation for those games. The basics of a point buy system are that players get a fixed number of points to use to buy their attributes and abilities. The hero system would pick up on this two years later and use it in their own release. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get into timeline history for GURPS. As I just mentioned, Melee and Wizard would be the ancestors of GURPS, but Steve Jackson had another game that used his system called In the Labyrinth. All three were eventually combined to form what was known as The Fantasy Trip, which was marketed as a fantasy game. And all of these here were published by Metagaming Concepts, just in case you were curious. 
Jackson began weaving the threads of what would eventually morph into GURPS as he went along, including the concept of strength, dexterity, and intelligence as the core ability scores for each character. By 1984, GURPS' core rules had been laid out and were being playtested. And at that time, GURPS stood for Great Unnamed Universal Role-Playing System, so it would have had another U in the title there. The idea behind the playtest was that Steve Jackson Games wanted to have some data on the game for a question and answer seminar they wanted to have at Origins 1984 in Dallas, which again made sense since Steve Jackson Games is based in Austin. They found themselves in another time crunch in 1985 as they wanted to have something to release for Origins that year. So they published the combat system for GURPS as man-to-man fantasy combat from GURPS. So it wasn't the full system. But those who claim they have a copy of the GURPS release in 1985 would technically be correct. Later in 1985, Steve Jackson Games released an adventure for the rules they dropped called Orc Slayer. Which brings us back to where we started, which was with the release of the full rules for GURPS in 1986. This release had two booklets, one to use to develop characters and one to use for adventuring. In 1990, GURPS Cyberpunk found itself in the center of some controversy, as it was, in part, a reason for the United States Secret Service to raid the offices of Steve Jackson Games. Needless to say, this led to a lawsuit, and it was an interesting case to say the least. But that's not something we're going to cover in this show. Instead, I intend to, by early next week, to have a website-exclusive video up on the website, badgmproductions.net, and I'll break down that entire situation with the raid and the lawsuit for you. Again, that'll be on the website, badgmproductions.net, probably by Monday, maybe Tuesday at the latest. By the way, since I usually make it a point to mention when different editions of a game have been dropped, I should point out that the second edition of GURPS came out in 1987, and the third came out in 1988. One of the stated reasons for having three editions released in three consecutive years is that GURPS was, and still is for the most part, evolving and growing. And on at least one occasion, it presented a character that would have a life of its own in another format. The release was the 1995 supplement GURPS Illuminati University. The character was Agatha Hedderdine. What format did she go on to be exceptionally popular in? the comic series Girl Genius, which launched in 2001. In 1998, Steve Jackson Games took advantage of the increasing interest of the internet, as well as the increased interest for the system, to release a free PDF of GURPS. Stripped down a bit, it was called GURPS Lite, and it also appeared in GURPS Discworld and Transhuman Space. The fourth edition of GURPS was inevitable, and it came out on the first day of Gen Con, which was August 19th, 2004. A number of changes were made to the system, which were designed to simplify and streamline the entirety of the process. While Steve Jackson Games doesn't always list the individual designers for their game, they did make a point to give Sean Punch credit for the design of the 4th edition, and 4th edition is still alive and well today. The greatest selling point for GURPS over the years has been its generic form and its style. Now, What that means is that the basic rules of GURPS don't support a specific genre. This allows for supplements for just about any genre you can think of, and the basics of GURPS can slide right in and still be used. Easy peasy? Lemon Squeezy. Over the years, supplements have been released to feature GURPS in just about every genre of role-playing that you can think of, and writers have noticed that GURPS users tend to be more willing to try different genres because of this than role-players who play one system, like D&D, readily switching to something like Vampire or Shadowrun, and that's because of the difference in systems. It should also be noted, GURPS was licensed to make a video game that has been very popular with gamers. You might have heard about it once or twice. It's called Fallout. 
There's also been a book in the For Dummies line of books, GURPS for Dummies, which was released in 2006. Now, before we check out the mechanics of GURPS, let's check out a couple of reviews of the product. Marcus L. Rowland reviewed the game for White Dwarf number 83, and I have to stress that this review was of the set of rules dropped in 1985, so keep that in mind. He said, quote, while I can applaud the idea behind the system, I can't really recommend GURPS at the present state of development. In the long run, GURPS and all its supplements may cover more ground than other systems, possibly at less expense, but in the short term, there isn't enough support material to run a fully rounded game of any type, apart from gladiatorial combat and medieval adventures, end quote. When the full rules were released, the games machine took a look at it and said, quote, if the idea of a generic system appeals, or you want a straightforward set of rules with which to run adventures in a setting of your own making, GURPS is worth a look, end quote. Now, we tend to mention the 1996 Arcane Magazine poll for the 50 most popular role-playing games of all time. GURPS was ranked 14th, and Paul Pettengale, the editor of Arcane, said the following, quote, Based around a point system and six-sided dice, GURPS succeeds better than most generic games. The rules are flexible and it's well-supported. Regardless of what you want to do with it, you'll probably find a supplement with some advice and background. The game suffers from being a little too detailed at times and can get bogged down in numbers. Still, it's an adaptable system with some superb supplements. End quote. All right, with reviews covered, let's pop the hood and look at what makes GURPS tick. When it comes to character creation, we mentioned the point-by system a few minutes ago. When a character is first created, 4th edition states players should have between 100 and 150 points to use for attributes, advantages and disadvantages, and skill levels. NPCs are typically built with 25 to 50 points. Big-time heroes range from 150 to 250 points, and those superhero types go about 400 to 800 points. To distill this down a bit, here's what it means for combat balance. The GM can look at the point values of the characters and compare it to the NPCs or monsters they want to use. This allows for a tweaking of the monsters to better balance out the encounter or to raise or lower what's going to be used to have a more or less powerful encounter. So what are players putting these points into? The four basic attributes of GURPS are strength, which is the character's physical power and bulk, as well as the ability to lift, carry, and do damage. Dexterity, which measures physical agility, coordination, and manual dexterity. Intelligence, mental capacity, acuity, and sense of the world. Health, physical stamina, recovery speed, energy and vitality, and the ability to resist disease. Now, each of the attributes starts at 10. Players can spend points to increase an attribute, making it more powerful. Conversely, they can also choose to take points from the 10, thereby making that attribute a little less powerful. The character's attributes help determine some secondary characteristics. There are four major ones. Hit points, which are self-explanatory. They were once based on health, but in 4th edition, they're based on strength. Will, which is mental focus and mental strength, based on intelligence. Perception, general sensory alertness, based on intelligence. And fatigue points, which are a measure of exertion, tiredness, and hunger. In previous editions, it was based on strength. In 4th edition, it's based on health. Now, there are several other secondary characteristics, but they're all based on one or more attribute values, and there are either individual tables or formulas that you can use for them. Those secondary characteristics, by the way, are damage, basic lift, basic speed, dodge, and move. Now, after working out the attributes, you might skip ahead to skills, but I want to look at advantages and disadvantages, since depending on how you do this, you might have more points to spend on those skills. 
There are a lot of games nowadays that use the advantage-disadvantage system in some way, shape, or form. Vampire and Deadlands are two that immediately come to mind for me. The idea is that there are some things you can purchase with your points that give your character certain advantages in gameplay. Wealth, status, and reputation are a few, but there are also advantages that give you bonuses on some of your roles. Disadvantages, as some might think, are things that put a bit of a restriction on what a character can do. Some would force a character to be exceptionally honest, poor, or of such a low status that they'd be looked upon poorly. GURPS also has what they call perks and quirks, which are things that can be purchased to give the character a bit of personality. So, here's the mechanics on purchasing advantages, disadvantages, perks, and quirks. Advantages and perks cost character points to take. The values depend on the individual item. Disadvantages and quirks actually give the character points back. Again, the values depend on the individual item. So in theory, the player could take only disadvantages and quirks and give themselves more points to use later in the process or to go back and boost some of their attributes. Of course, min-maxers tend to use this portion of the build as ways to not only give themselves decent advantages, but also to get some extra points to build their character better with. Last step in the building process, other than buying gear and working out a character background, is to pick your skills. Now, there are a wide variety of skills in GURPS, which is why the system can support as many different systems as it can. Acrobatics, firearms, vehicle piloting, archery, and climbing are just a few of the skills listed in the book, and obviously certain genres allow for certain skills. After all, your medieval genre game probably won't have firearms in it, and the chances your post-apocalyptic genre game has some of the more medieval skills in it are also fairly slim. Skills are rated by level, and the more levels you purchase, the better the character will be at that skill. Skills are also rated by category, and those are easy, average, hard, and very hard. Increased levels in the higher category skills are more expensive, as you might expect, and there are also some skills with a tech level on them, so you can differentiate between skills to be used for tech stuff and those that aren't. Yeah, I know, that should have been obvious, but I thought I'd mention it anyway. So once we've built the character, it's time to get down to gameplay, so let's look at the nuts and bolts of that. The dice used for GURPS, as we've referenced a few times to this point, are D6s. They're used for all the roles in the game, which makes it even easier to learn and keep track of. Not to mention it lightens your dice bag weight a bit, unless you just bring a bag full of D6s to the game, like I probably would. Did I just admit to that? Damn, it's the quiet part out loud again. Anyway, standard dice notation is used for figuring out skill check targets. Since someone, at some point, decided that the average roll of three six-sided dice is 10.5, an average skill check is 10. At the times GURPS came out, its system for determining failure or success was similar to AD&D, as low rolls were successful. Needless to say, that system puts GURPS in the minority these days, but in this particular system, it seems to work better. You can't skill check your way out of everything, though, so things will eventually break down into combat. Combat in GURPS works a bit different than in other games, like D&D. Rather than rolling for initiative, each member of the party has a set initiative, which is based on basic speed. Needless to say, the higher that is, the earlier they'll go in combat. Another difference here is the fact that rounds are one second. To compare, D&D rounds are six seconds. Each character in a combat round gets one action, which is either an attack or a move. A note here would be that there are some actions that are free actions. Those still take up your action for the round, but they can be done at any time during that round 
rather than waiting for your initiative. Once we get down to the fight itself, there are two kinds of attacks, melee and ranged. That's the same as pretty much every other game and system out there, so I won't break down those quite like I've been breaking down everything else. The player makes a check against the skill with the weapon they're using, like guns for shooting, though I think that would be obvious. Make the roll, and as we've stated already, it has to be equal to or below the skill number. Success equals hit. GURPS also has a critical hit and critical miss system by which the critical hit might do some extra damage or do something extra cool, while critical failures might cause the attacker to hit the wrong target, usually for the worse. And the GM can assign modifiers depending on things like distance, speed, cover, and whatever else comes to their twisted little minds. Leaving critical hits out of the equation, when an attack hits, the defender typically gets the chance to avoid the hit. This is where the dodge skill comes into play. Or parry or block for that matter. This is considered an unopposed check, which means the defender would roll against a target number rather than against the number rolled to hit them. That does make it different than D&D and a lot of other games. I've been saying that a lot today, which explains why I think so many people seem to like GURPS. So once we've hit, we need to get down to damage. Melee damage is determined on the strength rating of the attacker. The higher the strength, the better the damage. Ranged weapons, other than mechanical weapons, do the same thing. Mechanical weapons, like guns and bombs, have a set damage. Damage comes from the hit points, and there's a system in place to check penalties for shock as characters get hit. This is similar to other games where damage taken causes penalties to other roles and actions as they go along. And by the way, losing all your hit points doesn't necessarily result in your death. Now, a massive loss at one time probably will, but hit points being whittled away might not, as there are rolls that can be made to render the character unconscious, but alive. Okay, there's one more mechanic I want to hit on here, and that's character advancement. This works pretty much the same way as the creation process, as characters are awarded character points at fairly regular intervals, like at the end of the game session or the story. Those points can be used to buy increases in whatever they want concerning their characters so long as they have the points to do so. There's also a rule in place that allows for a character to improve a skill through study, work, or whatever other actions the GM approves of. On average, 200 hours of study equals one character point, though it must be put into the skill being studied. Now, that's different from other games, which typically don't allow for that sort of advancement. That's the mechanics, in a nutshell, for GURPS. Before we move on, I wanted to note that GURPS won the Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Rules of 1988 and was inducted into the Origins Hall of Fame in 2000. In addition, many of the expansions for GURPS have won awards, and that list would be about half of a show on their own. And I'm serious. So with GURPS covered, let's move on to our other topic for today's show, Riffs. Riffs is a multi-genre role-playing game released by Palladium Books in August of 1990. Kevin Ciambietta, the owner of Palladium Books, is credited as designer of the game, though others have picked up credits along the years as well. Among them are C.J. Carella, Kevin Long, Patrick Nowak, and Julius Rosenstein. There was another edition released in 2005, but rather than calling it second edition, it was named the Ultimate Edition. Much like GURPS, Rifts considers itself to be a crossover environment for other games within the Palladium portfolio, most of which have different universes. They're connected by rifts on Earth that lead to different spaces, times, and realities. These are known as the Rifts Megaverse. 
Ciambietta has stated on numerous occasions that Rifts is an advanced game and is not intended for those new to the concept. Now, I'm not going to hit on a whole lot of the history of the game, mostly because there really isn't a lot of it out there to talk about. I mean, the game was created, it was released, and it's been supported. The Ultimate Edition came out, and that game is still being sold. Oh, and the Palladium website specifically states that the Ultimate Edition is not a second edition. It's just a better version of first edition. Okay. As I mentioned in the episode where we broke down Palladium books, Rifts has been licensed a number of times over the years for supplements and video games, and the fans have created a ton of fan fiction based on the setting. Kevin Simbietta has stated on more than one occasion that he'd like to see Rifts games for other consoles, but to this point, that hasn't worked out. In the same episode I referenced a moment ago, I noted that Rifts had gotten a collectible card game from Precedence. The card game didn't really sell, and Precedence ultimately went out of business. In 2015, Pinnacle Entertainment Group created a series of supplements that would convert Rifts to their own Savage Worlds system. The combined system was called Savage Rifts, and there were eight titles and two adventures released under that umbrella. Now here's a rarity for me. I'm not going to put any reviews of Rifts in this show. Reviewers rated it between 6 and 8 out of 10, and what they liked and disliked ranged far and wide. However, Paul Pettengale really seemed to like it. Rifts was 22nd in the 1996 Arcane Readers poll of the 50 most popular role-playing games of all time. Here's what Pettengill had to say. Quote, It's the ultimate in old-style, high-energy RPGs. It uses a class and level system, and its supplements are full of new character classes, as well as weapons, robots, and power armor. Fantasy-style creatures are a bit less common, and tend to be rather conventional elves and orcs, although it's perfectly possible to play a baby dragon. One of the key concepts is mega damage, which is important when you're playing with giant robots and such. This is the game for people who want to have everything possible in their campaigns and then to blow a lot of it up with cool super weapons. End quote. One more fun fact about Rifts before we get into the setting. The original title of Rifts was going to be Boomers. However, when Ciambietta found out it was being used in Bubblegum Crisis, he changed it to Rifts. Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit differently than I usually do in these deep dives. We're going to spend a decent amount of time breaking down the setting of the game, because it's extensive, and I believe it might be a big selling point for the game for you. And that's really one of the things that we try to do here, is honestly the whole purpose of this show, try to convince you to try other games. Now, like I've said on more than one occasion, the Rift's world is Earth. However, it's set several hundred years in the future. I've also touched on the rifts on Earth, and they're caused by ley lines, which any Dresden Files fan will remember are lines of magic energy that crisscross the planet. Ley lines intersect at a nexus, and if a nexus surges or is activated, a rift is formed. With those basics out of the way, let's look at what things look like in the world of rifts. Earth has two future historical premises in the game. The first is a golden age of humanity, with huge advances in science, technology, military, and society. The world's at peace, as the various nations of the world decided to make tech, not war. The solar system has been conquered, the earth is in harmony, cats and dogs are living together in peace and love. Okay, you get the picture. Of course, when a setting builds this up, it usually burns it down, and Rifts does that literally. The second premise is that there's a cataclysm, with storms, earthquakes, tsunamis, and volcanic eruptions. These, combined with huge releases of magical energy from the various nexi, which is the plural I'm using for nexus, aligns the planets together for a rare time and helps to lead to the deaths of millions. 
The rifts that were formed stay open, and all kinds of creatures, both mythical and alien, have poured through to cause their own brand of mayhem. All of these various activities have caused the human race to adapt. They've got powered suits, giant robot vehicles, and a whole lot of personal augmentation. Some are chemical, some are mechanical, and some are performance-enhancing brain implants. Gives a whole new meaning to PED now that you think about it, but anyway. That's an overall of the Earth itself. Let's break down various parts of the Earth. North America has a few very different groups vying to be the top dog. The strongest one is the coalition states. Basically, it's the real-world states of Illinois, Iowa, the Texas Panhandle, Missouri, and the eastern half of Ontario. The coalition is fascist and totalitarian, which allows for some interesting stories and gameplay. Free Quebec is the second strongest. It had once been a part of the coalition, but broke away for a number of reasons. One, it's a little looser in its control than the coalition, but not that much less. Mexico is ruled by vampires who basically see humans as cattle. Moo. By the way, in Rifts, Mexico has expanded into most of what is the American Southwest, much as it had been before the 1800s in real history. Most of the population of North America is homed in the Midwest, and it's divided into its own portions with their own issues, among which are issues with weapons, food, and magic. Atlantis reappeared, if you believe it ever existed to begin with, right after the Cataclysm, and has a race of supernatural intelligences called the Splurgorth running it. Atlantis is a land of magic and monsters, and also has an interdimensional marketplace where slaves can be bought and sold. The return of Atlantis caused the Amazon River Basin to flood, which turned South America into what is called the Land of a Thousand Islands. There are humans and dwarves fighting vampires in Colombia, the Inca fighting alien invaders in the Andes, and an organization of Cusco, Nazca, Arequipa, and Lima working to bring peace and prosperity to the region. Argentina is also working for peace, as there's a coalition of aliens and humans working side by side there to help everyone. Bolivia has their own deal, as free and escaped slaves have formed their own mercenary company that can rival any other. Europe became the vast wilderness it had been in prehistory, with feudal kingdoms breaking it up, much like in history. We also see the magics of druids and fairies becoming commonplace. Germany is fighting against an empire of gargoyles that have apparently taken over much of Europe. France has been overrun by gargoyles. Russia is ruled by warlords who use a lot of cyborg troops to maintain their control. Moving through Asia, most of China has been overrun by demons, which has its own inherent issues in-game. Japan has become a mixture of tradition and technology, with samurai and warrior monks fighting uni demons and high-tech raiders from other parts of the country. Korea has been completely overrun by demons, and that's both North and South Korea. Much like Europe, Africa has gone back to nature. It's once again taken its old name of the Dark Continent because of it. By the way, the ley lines in Egypt are going ballistic, and that brought forth Ramaset, who is an Asian-style dragon. He's conquered everyone and has set up what's called the Phoenix Empire. And just in case you thought Africa might be a good vacation stop for your game, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are literally roaming the continent, spreading their own special type of party fun wherever they go. Australia, they haven't been spared either. For whatever reason, the center of the continent has become a large inland sea and the Aborigines have seen a resurgence as they've taken over the majority of the remaining land. There are a couple of city-states left and they are, of course, fighting each other. Melbourne and Perth are the most technologically advanced and their battles are, to say the least, <laughs> very interesting. Oh, and just in case you thought the water was safe, 
Within the Mariana Trench, there's a massive evil alien intelligence called the Lord of the Deep that's growing and may eventually try to consume all life on Earth. It has opposition, of course, but they're really not making a lot of headway to this point. If nothing else, my brief roundup of the Earth of Rifts should explain how you can play just about any type of game within the system, since pretty much every genre of game is represented here. Insofar as weapons and tech in the Rifts world, if you can think of it, it probably exists. And I'm serious about that. There are weapons as simple and as primitive as bows and spears, and as complex as laser weapons and large fighting robots. Of course, what you can use depends on where your game is based. Now that was a pretty big cover of the setting, which, like I said, is something I don't usually do. Something I do like to do, though, is break down the nuts and bolts of the game or system. So, let's get into it. If you get into all of the various supplements over the years, the number of possible character classes is much larger than I could consider covering in one show. However, the original game book had four overall character types with about four or five character classes each. They are Men of Arms. These are your combat specialists. Cyborgs, Freelance Warriors, and the Coalition Army. Those are three examples. Scholars and Adventurers. Those would be your scouts, scientists, rogue scholars, and the like. Racial character classes, dragons, dog boys, size stalkers, and bursters are multiple examples of this. You don't learn these in so much as you would others. You're just kind of born or modified into them. There are also men of magic, and I think that's self-explanatory. Once you get your character created, which is a system much like other games we've covered on this show before, it's time to get down to combat and skill checks. Let's start with skill checks. Rifts uses percentile dice for these checks. As in other games of the type, each character has a base chance of success. There are modifiers available depending on certain situations, but they're supposed to be very rare. So the check is against the base. A result equal to or less than the player's percentage is a success. It's just that simple. Combat is handled a bit differently as the D20 is used for combat. It's also an opposed check between players with skills and environmental conditions providing modifiers to the roles. It should be pointed out that the weaponry and combat in Rifts are designed to be much more destructive than other games, which means there's a much higher priority on not getting hit. For an example, while a knife deals between 1 and 4 points of damage, a laser pistol can cause between 100 and 400 points of damage with a single shot. Look at it this way. The knife could easily kill a small animal in one hit, while the laser pistol could destroy a car with one shot. This necessitates armor. It's been noted on more than one occasion that a character in standard issue armor with a laser pistol is basically equal to a modern real-world tank. So, mega damage capacity was created for the game. Each point of mega damage equals 100 points of structural damage. Armor and vehicles have a certain amount of MDC levels, and when those points are gone, so are the items. Now, the game has been criticized for some of this, as Rifts has no method within its system for weapon design, which has led over the years for a seriously increased power use. In other words, heavier-powered weapons lead to heavier-load armors, which leads to heavier-powered weapons, and so on and so on. That being said, players love the game, so they're obviously not as concerned about these rules as some of the writers and critics have been. So with that said, we've come to the end of today's tour. Next week, I'm going to hit a subject suggested by one of our fans on YouTube. They asked specifically about the solo adventures from Flying Buffalo. But if we're going to cover those, let's go whole hog and look at solo adventures as a subgenre. Oh, by the way, if you want to make a suggestion for a future episode, hit us up. All the ways you can do so are coming up in just a minute. 
By the way, while I'm talking about things I want you to check out, please check out our other podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. That's where we design a campaign for you from scratch that you can run for your group free of charge. We're building a Deadlands Classic campaign at present, so if you're looking to play a Western, I definitely suggest you check it out. Bad GM's Campaign Build Along is available wherever you get your podcasts, or we have a link on our website at badgmproductions.com. Net. The music for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for royalty-free, license-free music for your next project. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. Twitter at Bad GMP, YouTube Bad GM Productions. You can email us badgmproductions at gmail.com. And hit us up online. Our website is badgmproductions.net. Next week is our listener-requested deep dive into solo adventures. I'll give the credit where it's due next week, as well as a bit of thanks. But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're Role-Playing History.